Good morning. You know, I'm uh, developing a uh, preference for having that overflow closed off. It pushes people closer. That's right. Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of Hebrews. You should have in uh, your hand there a uh, copy of an outline that will be uh, useful to you, hopefully, in following along. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read from there momentarily. And uh, before we do, I wanted to uh, make just a couple of announcements uh, by way kind of a reminder, uh, three of them actually. Uh, the first one is that uh, you can see that progress is being made on the roofing project. Praise God for that. You can also notice that it's not 52 degrees in here. Praise God for that also. The heaters are working and, uh, and so progress is being made. And uh, I wanted to encourage you that um, the Lord has provided a, um, uh, considerably towards the cost uh, of all of this, um, but if you wanted to give towards that, you've still uh, got time, and there's a, a place you can do that in uh, the back of the auditorium there or the plate that's in the foyer uh, to contribute towards uh, completing that project. We would appreciate that. Uh, secondly, is that um, Brianna is normally the one who checks with the children who are in here who take notes with their blast zone, and she normally sits over there. And, and uh, so today, um, you have a substitute, and I'm the substitute. So we'll see how that works out. I'm not a very good substitute. So, uh, but I'm going to be over there. And then uh, thirdly, I wanted to remind us um, about our evening service, that uh, tonight at 6 o'clock we will be across the way, and uh, tonight I would love to see the place packed out. It's tough to make Stephen nervous, but I would really like the chance. He'll be preaching tonight, and so um, join us over there if you uh, would, please. We get to sing, and uh, it's a wonderful time. It's, it's uh, a little bit more intimate and less um, removed. I'm standing a lot closer to the people I'm preaching to normally in that context, so it's a blessed time. We would encourage you for that. Uh, we are open in our Bibles now to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read for us just one paragraph here that is uh, a powerful one. We're going to look at its significance for us today. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's pray. Father, we pause this morning in our time of worship to come together as a congregation in prayer into your presence. We are grateful that we have the opportunity to do so. 
that we who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. That we have access to you, that you hear our prayers. We rejoice in that. And Father, we join together this morning as a congregation because we need you. We recognize that uh, sometimes it feels like maybe we have the world by the tail and other times it feels like we're being crushed by the world and in both of those circumstances the reality is we are small, we are fallen, but you are God Almighty, the one who is over all things, the one who has all power and all wisdom and who has reconciled us to himself in Jesus. And so we need you. And as we come this morning with your word open, we ask that you would minister to us, that your spirit would apply your word in our lives, that you would build us up, that you would increase our faith, that perhaps you would draw some to yourself who don't know you, that you would minister to your people today. We we come in need. So, Father, we ask that you would do that even in these next few minutes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, I was in Bible school and finishing up there in Chicago uh, for my undergraduate degree, I took the long route. I won't even tell, me, tell you how many years it took me to finish a four-year program <clears throat> with traveling overseas and getting married and having babies and me being slow. <laughs> it took a long time. And so by the time we eventually got to our uh, senior year and we were approaching graduation, there were several of us uh, married students who were kind of in the same boat. We'd been there a long time, and we had uh, been through a lot. And, and so at, uh, at our school, they had what they called the junior-senior ball, the JSB, we called it. And being a Christian Bible school, there was no actual dancing at this ball. And so, uh, but it was meant to be a celebration. And, uh, you know, to finish out our time there, it was just something for the married students, uh, um, and it was, a, it was a special kind of thing. Well, it was, um, we showed up, and we're sitting there, and we had certain expectations of what was going to happen and what this was for, what the purpose of the JSB was. Actually, now that I think about it, I think there were more than just married students there because of how many there were. But when we showed up, we thought, all right, here's what we're going to get to do. We'll finally get to let off some steam sit around a table, chat with each other. We don't have papers due. We don't have projects upcoming. We don't have exams happening. We get to celebrate the fact that we uh, are, are graduating, and this is a glorious and wonderful thing. We get to let off some steam. We get to have our spouses with us. This is going to be great. We can chat. We can enjoy the time. And so we're sitting around our table, and it was this big hall and all kinds of tables, pretty fancy, and uh, didn't take place at the school but somewhere else. And there was a guy up on stage sitting there with a chair, just like this kind of setup, and he's playing, playing his guitar, and, and we thought, great, there's background music, and this is wonderful. Well, then he started, like, reciting poetry. He had, it was some little poetry thing that he was doing, and, and so he was, uh, you know, playing his guitar and talking and interrupting us. <laughs> well, so then the uh, dean of students or somebody came up and reprimanded everybody because we had been wrong about what the purpose of the JSB was. It wasn't a time for us to get together and let off some steam as, 
as uh, uh, people who were graduating. It wasn't just a time for us to get together and chat with our friends without having to think about the assignments due and the, all the other things. It, was, it wasn't that. It was meant to be a performance that we were invited to. And it was meant to be uh, a blessing to us that this man playing guitar and who had written all this, uh, these songs and poetry and whatnot was trying to bless us and minister to us and encourage us in these ways, and we completely missed the boat. So what was meant to be you know, an exciting and fun time, what was meant to be an encouragement to us and, and, and a blessing ended up being you know, all of these people who were just about out of school getting chewed out by the dean of students for what we were doing. If we don't understand the purpose of an event we don't understand why we're there, then we will certainly not get out of it the benefit that was intended. We expected one thing, and they expected an entirely different uh, situation. So they ended up being disappointed in us because here we were disrespectful and chatting amongst ourselves. We ended up being disappointed in the event because now we're having to sit quietly and listen again. We thought we were out of school. <laughs> Didn't have to listen to anybody anymore, right? That's not, not what happens when you get out of school, but we were hopeful. If we are unclear about the purpose of why something happened, we will be unclear about what our expectations ought to be. And this is the time of year where we talk about the advent of Christ, about Christ coming. And if we are unclear about the purpose of why the Son of God took on flesh as a man, then we risk missing the profound benefit that God has for us in Christ. And not just missing that benefit, but ultimately being disappointed in what Christ did provide. Just like we as students sitting out there around the table were disappointed by what was provided. We expected one thing, that was not what was provided, and we were pretty disappointed about it. And ultimately, the person who misunderstands and why it is that Jesus took on flesh and entered into our world, and the person who misunderstands that will end up being disappointed, not just in this life, but ultimately for eternity. So it's important for us to understand why it was Jesus came into the world. And that's our question for today. Why did Christ come into the world? And how we answer that question is very important. It's going to impact how we see all it was that he accomplished. For example, if, if we imagine, if we understand, if our impression of why Jesus came was, was simply to deliver Israel from Roman rule, or perhaps more broadly, to, to lead the righteous in triumph over their enemies. What if that's our expectation of why Jesus came? Well, then we would be disillusioned with Jesus, wouldn't we? Certainly the people of his day, many of them who expected him to be the king, who saw him doing these wonderful things and thought, let's put him on the white horse and give him a sword and he'll lead us into battle and we'll finally be free. They, those people were disappointed in their expectation. So when it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to pursue that route, that that really wasn't what he came for, they gave up on the whole thing, and they, and they gave up on him. And they kind of abandoned the cause, and they, they kind of fell away. Well, for our day and age, we see things perhaps in a little bit different context, but not always. Perhaps you see Jesus as the one who uh, leads the righteous in triumph over their enemies, and, and perhaps in your mind you equate uh, the righteous with our nation or, or a certain aspect of our nation or something like that. And so, so you might see Jesus as the Savior of our nation without ever realizing that, that you need Him personally as your Savior. And thus you've missed what He actually came to do. 
and you'll be disappointed in Jesus. When there was a uh, political rally that, that went on here a couple of years ago in our city, and, uh, and Woody and I went down there, and we took some gospel tracts, and we prayed together, and we decided we, this is, you don't have people gathering together in Fallon all that often in large numbers. This is a great chance. So we went down to share the gospel. And so we were on one side of the street, and we were sharing with people who were openly telling us, uh, don't, even, don't even bother sharing with me. I've heard it all. I don't care. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Or if you knew my lifestyle, you wouldn't even be talking to me. We were just getting pretty open opposition in that regard. And after a while, Woody and I kind of looked across the road and we recognized that, that the people who were, who were in opposition were just as much in need of a Savior and realized it just as little as these people for the most part. So Woody and I headed back across the street, went over to the other side and tried to, to talk to people who perhaps saw Jesus in some sense as a Savior of our nation, but but didn't have any understanding of their own guilt and their own need before God, their own need for a Savior themselves. And so we uh, attempted to bring the gospel to those people as well because they misunderstood why it was Jesus came. Perhaps you understand that Jesus came to show us a better way to live. Well, if that's the case, then... If that's what we look for from Jesus, if that's what we expect from Him, that's what we'll look for, and that's ultimately what will happen is a better way of living. We will look to Jesus for a better way, uh, principles of living. Maybe we can be kinder to other people. And if that's all we're looking for from Jesus, that's all we'll get out of Jesus. And you can read what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and you can, you can get instructions for that regard, but if that's what you're expecting, you're going to be ultimately disappointed with the entirety of what it is Jesus came to do. He will let you down in that regard if that is all you are looking for. Maybe you're looking to Jesus, you think the reason He came was to provide health, to provide abundant provision for us, to come to, to people who are in need and, and, and help to meet that need, whether in some physical capacity, maybe health-wise or something like that. Well, if that's the case, then you will begin to focus and trust in Jesus for that alone. That, that'll be the big picture. That's why Jesus came in your mind, and so that's what you look for from Him. And so when He heals, you really zone in on that. When He provides food, you really zone in on that, and you become a little bit like the people who really enjoyed following Jesus because they got a free lunch or because He saw Him heal somebody, and, and you will miss out on the real reason that He came, just like many of those in the Gospels who followed Jesus for those reasons ended up being disillusioned with Him. Because he came for more than that. And so our question is, why did Christ come into the world? Well, the Bible has an answer to that. What is that biblical answer? Well, as we think about why it was Christ came into the world, we have to think first of our problem. We don't have to go far to look into that. We've looked at Genesis 3 a ton, and we will continue to do so. But Paul sums it up nicely in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. So there's a problem. There's a problem that we, that we all have, and with everyone experiencing sin, and with everyone dying from sin, that means that everyone is in need of rescue. And it's rescue 
that explains the purpose of Advent. As we have heard already today from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where we have an angel speaking to Joseph about his wife, who is a virgin, who will conceive and bear a son. And the angel says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel didn't just pick a name out of the hat. He didn't just pick a purpose out of the hat. He's highlighting what is the primary purpose for why it was that he came in this way to save his people from their sins. And so, why did Christ come? Well, we're going to look at our passage today that's going to guide us to a clear answer in that regard. And we have to look at an age-old struggle that has gone on amongst religious people, people who consider that there is a God or gods, and then, and then they think about how we must be related to Him. It's, it's a struggle between whether we need most to obey God or to sacrifice. And that brings us to our passage here in Hebrews chapter 10. Again, reading, starting in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, and then we have a quotation from the Old Testament, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This quotation is a quotation from David. And if you remember about how David started his ministry, uh, David, uh, we won't tell the whole story, but there was, a, there was another king before David, another king who was king over Israel, and he was impressive to look at, and he was a significant man. He was tall, and he was good-looking, and King Saul was, was everything that you'd want in a king, except that he turned out to be a lousy king. And so the prophet Samuel uh, came to him, at the end, uh, towards the end of his life there in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel answered the question, should we obey or should we sacrifice? Which is the way? And he made a statement to King Saul after another one of King Saul's acts of disobedience when he was supposed to put everything to death and he saved some uh, for a different purpose. He hadn't obeyed God's explicit instructions. And what does... Samuel say to Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And with those words, Samuel pretty much declared an end to the reign of Saul. Your reign is finished. David will be brought in. David will take over because of that issue, because of uh, Saul's understanding that, well, I don't really need to obey as long as I offer sacrifice later on. The instruction had been to kill all these animals, to, to kill everything there, but instead he saved some for the purpose of offering sacrifice later because he thought sacrifice would be better than just obeying on the front end. And so later, when King David becomes king, Saul's out of the picture. King David becomes king. He pens Psalm 40, which is quoted here in Hebrews chapter 10. And in this psalm, you can see the quotation there that David recognizes that sacrifice 
is a part of their life. David recognizes that to obey is better than sacrifices. Guilt offerings and sacrifices, they've been prescribed in the law of Moses, were not actually the ultimate desire of God. They weren't what God was really looking for, all of these sacrifices. And David recognizes that, and he, and he, and he says here that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Now, we need not to be confused there as if uh, the psalmist or as if the author to the Hebrews here is, is, uh, is saying, uh, well, then why did you tell us to do all these sacrifices if you didn't want us to do all these sacrifices? He's not pitting one part of Scripture against another. What he's saying is that ultimately, God wants obedience. But when obedience doesn't happen, when there's sin, there needs to be atonement. And so God would just rather have the obedience than the atonement. He's not after blood. He's not some bloodthirsty God. He's not hungry. He's not looking for a bunch of animals to be killed. That's not his greatest desire. He says that to obey is better than sacrifice. And so, contrary to what you might hear, it's not better to ask forgiveness than permission. To obey is better than sacrifice. And David was recognizing here He says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A body had been given to him in which he was to obey God. So we see that uh, King David in his understanding, King David in his life and his obedience, King David was far better than King Saul. He was a better king. He was a better man. He was far better. But, of course, we know even with David, he, he ultimately fell short that God who had given him this body in which he was to obey God and in which he was to do his will would ultimately fail. You can read about that. It's one of the beauties of the Bible is it doesn't pull punches on the sins, the foibles, uh, the stains of its heroes. David's a biblical hero, but he's not our ultimate hero. He falls flat on his face as well, and and he should have been obeying, but but the, the problem is that when we fail to obey... There must be a sacrifice. Well, that points us beyond David to another. David, being a prophet, spoke beyond himself. He wasn't just writing about himself here. And that's what the author to the Hebrews is is saying. You see what it said there? Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said this. Meaning this is true. It was true of David. It's much more true of the one son of David who is the greater than David. Jesus himself. That Jesus himself, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And so David speaks even beyond himself. David was better than Saul, but David was speaking of one who was going to be far better than him. He was speaking of the one who would be Mary's son, the one who would be named Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so that kind of raises the question for us, in what ways or by what means would Jesus save his people from sins? Well, first of all, Jesus came to be the obedient one. That's your second point on your outline. He came to be the obedient one. Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, a body you've prepared for me. Verse 9, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the book of the scroll. 
Verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus came to be the obedient one. So what's going on in our passage here is that our author is contemplating two possible ways for our sin to be dealt with. Two possible ways uh, that, that our sin can be removed from us. How, how is it that God can become pleased with people who are not pleasing in and of themselves? That's the question that he has in mind. That's, that's what he's balancing. And the, the first way that he's presented here, the first involves sacrificing live animals in an attempt to take away that sin. And we have that all over in the Mosaic Law. They would offer a sacrifice for this, and if it was that kind of sin, it was this kind of sacrifice, and depending upon how wealthy your family was or maybe the sins of the nation or all these different things, there were different sacrifices that needed to be offered in order to pay for our sin debt. And this is a system laid out in the Old Covenant. But one big problem inherent with that system is that you might commit a sin, offer a sacrifice for that sin, and the next time you commit a sin, you got to offer another sacrifice for that sin. So it's never-ending. That's the first problem with it. But there's a second problem with it, a massive one. If you look back to Hebrews chapter 10 and look up at verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's a second massive problem with it. Not only the, the, the fact that you have to repeat the offering. If you sin and have to give a sacrifice, sin, have to give a sacrifice, you're always going to be back giving sacrifices. Not only that, but blood of bulls and goats can't take it away anyway. It's because the debt that's owed by a human can't even be compared to the life of an animal. The two are very different. An animal cannot ultimately substitute for a person. And so the Old Covenant makes... makes very clear for us as you're reading through it and you're wondering what should I gain out of the book of Leviticus you're doing your devotions in Leviticus numbers and you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to gain out of this you gain one thing out of it is that our sin requires a blood sacrifice if you gain nothing else from Leviticus gain that sin is that serious our sin requires a blood sacrifice but another thing the old covenant makes equally clear is that the sacrificing of animals for the sins of humans is entirely inadequate. Ultimately and finally inadequate. An animal is not a fitting substitute for a person. So we learn that very clearly from the Mosaic Law. So our first possibility, animals sacrificed to pay for sins, turns out to be an, an insufficient uh, and unworkable plan. So that's way one. That's the first option that's being considered here. And that's why the author would say sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. They don't ultimately work. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Those don't ultimately pay. They don't ultimately deal. But there's a second way that's introduced here. The second possible way for our sins to be removed is the one that we read about in verse 9. Where he says, I have come to do your will. And David was speaking beyond himself. Yes, David intended to do God's will. David understood that God had given him a body and a life and opportunities, and David was to do God's will, but he spoke beyond himself. He was speaking of one who would come who would say, as our author here says, when Christ came into the world, he said, 
I have come to do your will. And so it seems like a simple enough statement, like just do God's will. You know, that Jesus would show up and he would do God's will. But really there are two aspects of God's will that are inherent in what's going on here. And the first has to do with obeying the law, obeying what God said to do, doing all the things that obedient people ought to do. Jesus did those things always, perfectly, not just on the outside. You know, we might be able to fake it for a while that I could deceive you about, about my character whatever for a certain uh, time. And if I was really, really good, maybe even for a long time. But Jesus' obedience wasn't just giving a show of obedience. His, his obedience was from the heart. He fully and completely desired to obey God with all that he was, and so he did. And so his obedience was outward. His obedience was inward as well. And that's an aspect of God's will that's being declared here. But there's a second aspect of God's will. That's the aspect of coming to be the sacrifice, the sacrificial one for those who have not obeyed God's will. And that's the second part of doing God's will that he came to do. Jesus came not just to be an obedient one. Jesus is an example to us when we look to him and we see that. So when we look to Jesus for an example, he is certainly that. He truly was perfectly obedient. But his perfect obedience in all the things that he did in life don't, don't substitute for your sins. And so Jesus came to be the obedient one, but that's not the end of it. He came thirdly to be the sacrificial one. The sacrificial one. You remember what, uh, what Samuel said to Saul to obey is better than sacrifice, but, but where are you in that? Where am I in that? To obey is better than sacrifice, but the fact is I've not obeyed, and you've not obeyed. So what are you left with? You're left with the need, the requirement for sacrifice. You're left with the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus' obedience, his, all the things that he did when he, when he obeyed God, he always told the truth and he, he, he uh, honored his father and his mother and he always loved the Lord his God from, from his entire capacity and he loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus, always obedient in all of those ways, doesn't result in your salvation. If he did that and then said, do what I've done, I'll see you, and left, we would be left in our sins. We would, be, we would be left with, with that standard. And is that a good standard? Well, it's a perfect standard. Right? There's nothing, nothing Jesus did that, that was wrong in any way, and we could emulate everything he did. Understood truly, we could emulate everything he said. It's a perfect standard. But it would be very similar to the law in the Old Testament. There was a perfect standard, and no one ever met it. Because we can't. Because we're, we're tainted within because of this sin stain that we inherit from our first father. And so Jesus would have just become a new standard. A, a, a flesh and blood standard. One that you could look at and you could see how he interacted with people. And that would, that would be good and that would be encouraging. But it wouldn't do anything about my own fallenness. It wouldn't do anything to, to assist me to be able to obey God in any sense. It wouldn't meet God's requirement for me for him to be obedient. Only. And so he comes to be the sacrificial one as well. And this is the second aspect of 
the will of God that is talked about when, when Jesus says in verse 9, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the law, that path of sacrifice. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And then in verse 10, he tells us what the second is. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So Jesus coming on the scene and and being the obedient one, always obeying God's law from the heart, desirous to do so, perfectly loving those around him, and on and on and on, perfectly obedient to God's law, that itself is not a substitute for us. It prepares him as the offering, as the as the spotless lamb who would then give himself for us so that in his body we are sanctified. Meaning, he gave himself. Having having fulfilled God's law, he then went to the cross. Because remember, you and I have sinned. You and I still have that need for our sins to be taken care of. And so when he goes to the cross, he does so to bear in his body the sins of his people. So that the punishment that the law demanded for lawbreakers, you and me, is placed on him. He's treated as the lawbreaker. He's treated as as the enemy of God. He's treated as a, a criminal. And the worst criminal ever, if you think about the fact that your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin, all of it placed on him and he's treated that way. All of it placed upon him. He gives himself as the perfect sacrifice, as the one who gives his life so that God's wrath for my sin and yours is punished in him to death. And of course, God raises him from the dead. God, God declares that though Jesus was the worst criminal ever because all of our sin, the sin of all of his people piled upon him, he was vile in the sight of God. That guilty, yet the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And when God raised him from the dead, he declared, you remember that? All of that vileness has all been dealt with. It has all been paid for. And so, the Son of God, the divine, eternal one who is co-equal with the Father, the second member of the Trinity, took on flesh at the first advent for this purpose. This was his mission. This was what he was looking to do, to save his people from their sins. He, he, he obeyed God perfectly. He, was, he, he walked in all of God's will to be our spotless atoning sacrifice. The undeserving one who was, who was punished for me and for you. To put it simply, Christ came to deal with our sin. And so as we draw to a close here, we have some application questions. What are you seeking from Jesus? Or to put it another way, what's your expectation? Why have you come to Jesus? Why do you look to him? Because I can tell you the, the disappointment that I felt showing up to the JSB and, and then getting reprimanded as a student who was about to you know, graduate and, 
and, uh, and whatnot. I thought I was a pretty respectable person, and then suddenly I felt like I was in the fifth grade again. My expectations were not met. And the expectations that the school had on the evening were not met. That's trivial. That's irrelevant. This question is a much more important one for us. What do we expect from Jesus? Why are we looking to him? Or to put it another way, why did Christ come into the world? What's your answer to that question? If it was, if you're if your understanding is that Christ came into the world simply to lead the righteous to triumph over his enemies, you're going to be disillusioned. You're going to be disappointed. That uh, you may consider yourself to be righteous, you may consider yourself to be uh, certainly deserving to be on the winning side, and you may find that in this life you are on the losing side. You may find that things do not work out well for you. You may find that uh, things turn against you very strongly and you will be disappointed. If that's what you expect for Jesus, that's why you look to Jesus. If, if in your mind that's why Jesus came into this world and he doesn't meet that need, he doesn't meet that expectation, what are you going to do with Jesus? You're going you're to set him aside. You're going, to, uh, you're going to do like so many of those who lived in his day did. Followed him for a while, and then it turns out, oh, he, Jesus thinks we should suffer. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that, Jesus. Why did Christ come into the world? Maybe, maybe in your mind, Christ came into the world primarily to show us a better way to live. I mean, Jesus obviously is a, 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 an upstanding ethical teacher, unparalleled as an ethical teacher, as a moral person himself in his own character. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And so, uh, but but if, if in your mind that's primarily why he came, and then that's what you will look to him for, and what will you take away from Jesus? Well, you'll take away some principles for living. And if that's all you take away from Jesus, you will end up in death, utterly disappointed. You may have had a successful life because you because you treated people kindly and everyone in, in town loves you and, and, and you're famous because you're such a, uh, such a wonderful person. If that's all you're looking for from Christ, then you've missed the, the boat. Then you will die, maybe satisfied as you can be with your life, but the moment of death you will realize. Like when, when we received the reprimand from the dean of students, but multiplied by a million, you missed the whole point of why he came. If in your understanding he came simply to show us how to treat one another, maybe, maybe just treating each other, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, in some way family becomes your idol or relationships become your idol and Jesus really teaches us how to do that. Well, Jesus teaches us how to do that thing, though he does occasionally say that we should say really hard things and he does actually say that he came in a way that, that would divide uh, families. Um, so that's a little difficult, but if you, came, uh, if you think that's the reason he came, you're going to miss out. You're going to be disappointed in him, either in this life or in the next life. Why did Jesus come? What are we expecting from him? What do we, what do we look to him for? And, 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 you know, we're in church, right? We're, we're Christians sitting here, and, and we're thinking, well, I know Jesus came to die for my sins, but, but, but really, 
You know, I can, I can sort of, you know, once, once he's died for my sins and I understand that, I can kind of fold it up and put it in my back pocket. By the way, that's the place where I forget things and then I find them after they've gone through the wash later on. If we do that with the gospel, we have missed the point because the, the gospel doesn't get folded up and put away. Jesus didn't come to accomplish 12 things and as long as one of them is dying for your sins and you understand that, then you're good to go. You can really focus on the important stuff. You can fold that other thing up and put it away and focus on the important stuff. You will, we, are, we are misaligning. We are misunderstanding. We are not getting the purpose for which Jesus came as the Bible has given it to us. To save his people from their sins. If I think that uh, Jesus came primarily to provide health and, and provision for, uh, for his people or maybe the world in general or something like that, we're going to be disappointed. I can guarantee you disappointed on that one because Jesus promised suffering, promised that those who follow him would be hated by the world. If that's what we expect, we will be disappointed in Jesus. We'll be looking for what he did not promise. We'll be searching after what he has not guaranteed us. We will have prioritized something to, to a higher status than he ever intended. Did Jesus heal people? Yes. Did he, did he provide a free lunch at times? Yes. Did he, did he bless his people and, and, and does, does he want us to serve one another and care for one another? Yes, yes, yes. But you may die of illness at a young age. You may, you may lose a loved one. And that's not contrary to what Jesus came to do. We have to understand why we celebrate the Advent. As one man put it, it is the atonement which explains the incarnation. The incarnation takes place in order that the sin of the world may be put away by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. That's why. That's what we're celebrating at the Advent. So, why did Christ come into the world? If we don't get that answer right, then we will misread everything about Him. We will misunderstand Him. If we don't catch why He came, we will be disappointed in Him. And we'll certainly be disappointed, not just in this life. But if that's all we're looking to Him for, we will be disappointed in eternity as well. The Son of God came to address our sin problem, not these other problems. He addressed them in various ways, and the church should address them in various ways. And this is the primary one that he came to address, our sin problem. God prepared his servant, his Messiah, Jesus the Christ, to succeed where David had failed, to succeed where you and I have failed, and to give his own life to sanctify us, to, to redeem us from our sins. One final passage I want to look at briefly. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. As we look at this passage, I want you to think about what it is that has been dealt with that makes this, uh, this passage possible, what it is that has been dealt with that, that makes these exclamations so glorious and wondrous and powerful for us. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, 
a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, glorious. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a wonderful thing. You can imagine the picture. You can anticipate the picture. We will be there. Wonderful, g- glorious for people from tribes and tongues and, 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 and languages. And, and, and like Chris was talking about with the diversity and the, and the wonder of it. Before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes. With palm branches in their hands. And, Why are their robes white? How do I get this white robe? Mine is, my robe, you know, is stained. Well, look down at verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb's blood makes our robes white. And so we go back to this, this image back up in verse 10 and, and we see that you've got this, this multitude too many to count and they're of all different varieties and they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in these white robes that have been laundered in the blood of Christ because of faith in Him with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why did He come? To prepare people for that. To draw people into that worship service. That's why he came. That's what he came to do. So why is it that we celebrate Christmas? Why did Christ come into the world? He came to save his people from their sins. He he came to take rebellious and sin-stained people who have no hope of ever cleansing their robes themselves. And he came to take them and wash their robes and cleanse their sins in the blood that he shed when he offered his body once for all. And so that is the reason he came. And that is the reason that we celebrate Advent. And so as we conclude, why did Jesus come? In your mind, what is it that you value? What is it? What's the need, the felt need? What's, the, what, what's your understanding, the, the greatest need that you have that he came to meet? If it's something other than what we've talked about today, you need to alter that expectation. You need to alter that understanding. That the, the primary reason he came was to glorify God in the redeeming of his people. And that's a blessed thing for you and me. And so if my health doesn't work out like I would like it to, okay, Jesus hasn't failed. If my relationship doesn't work out with someone like I'd like it to, has Jesus failed? No. If if our country doesn't go the way you want our country to go, has Jesus failed? No. But if we, if we die in our sins because we have come to expect something more, something different from Jesus than the forgiveness of our sins by His own life and death, has Jesus failed? 
course not. So look to Him. And as we celebrate Advent, as we, as we gather as families and, and as a church and all the things that we do and we, and we sing these familiar hymns and we, and we uh, recall uh, the whole Advent story, we have to remember why it was that He did this. And when our expectation is, is directed by that, when our expectation is educated by what Scripture says about why He came, that we will never, ever be disappointed in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You sent Jesus to be the obedient one and the sacrificial one. Thank You that You sent Him to accomplish what David certainly didn't accomplish, what I certainly didn't accomplish, what none of us here has done in doing Your will. But Jesus did it. And Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus obeyed where I've not and stood in my place to, to bear in His body the penalty for my sins. I thank You for Jesus. And, and for this time of year where we get to focus on the coming of Christ, where we get to focus on why it is that He came, why it is that a baby was born uh, in, in Bethlehem all those years ago, and we care. Why it is that the calendar is divided in two with His birth. Why it is so important for us. May we remind one another of this. May we look to you and, and, and ponder where we would be if Jesus just came to be a good ethical teacher. If Jesus just came to be an example. If Jesus just came to lead a, a, a political revolt or, or something like that. If Jesus just came for these other lesser reasons, where would we be? dead in our trespasses and sins. But that's not ultimately why He came. He came to save His people from their sins. And Father, we are grateful that we have the words of this message before us in a book. We get to join together as a church and, and celebrate this Jesus, our Savior. We get to gather together in fellowship and remind one another of these truths. Father, we rejoice. I pray that you would help us to retool our expectations, perhaps. If maybe we have uh, come to expect something of Christ that, that He never promised. Or maybe perhaps we have restructured, reordered, reprioritized uh, the reasons that He came in such a way that that uh, we have uh, made little of the gospel, made light of the gospel, that we've folded it up and put in our, our, our back pocket. I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, retool our expectations to be in line with why Jesus came. Father, we rejoice in this. And we thank you. Pray that you would continue to work in us by your Spirit, even as we uh, celebrate this wonderful season of Advent. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would remind you again of uh, church tonight at 6 o'clock as well. I will be over here with the kids um, working through the blast zone. I want to conclude with the wor these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you all and you're dismissed.